Hey, this is Keith Price, and I am so glad that you have become a part of the Keith Price's Curtain Call family. It is really great that you guys are enjoying it, and I really, really feel like I want to give you guys more and do more for you. And the only way that I can do more is if I can get a little bit of help from you. So what I would like to ask of you is that you check out, if you're listening to the podcast, to the Patreon page that I have started in which I'm asking that if you have an extra buck or two that you could throw over to the side once a month, I would be very appreciative. As time goes on and the more support that I can get and the more energy that I can create, behind this, it will give me the opportunity to reach more people. And the more people that love theater in the world makes the world a better place. So www.patreon.com slash Keith Price Curtain Call. Help a brother out. Come on now. Help a brother out. Thanks a lot. You are listening to Keith Price's Curtain Call. And we are back. We are back. Hey, it's Keith Price for Keith Price's Curtain Call. And we are having yet another fantastic episode that I'm bringing forth for you again. And I love it because most of the time, again, like I always try to tell you that there are so many different careers that are attached to the world of theater. Like, again, many of you, I know, we all have a song in our heart. There's an audition waiting for us to happen and as soon as the audition is over, they're going to just decide that we're the one. And we're going to go back into that dressing room of a regular person. And we're going to come out a star. You know, it's like, it's like, that's the thing. But within that same, you know, I guess, construct, people don't realize that there is an entire industry. Because, you know, we do, you know, seem to focus on the final product. But people don't realize that there is an entire process to doing something like bringing a Broadway show to life on a stage that involves a whole lot of things that don't involve actors. <laughs> Am I right? Absolutely. <laughs> a huge support system. And now my next guest is doing something that, you know, again, for those people who love the theater and have a love of theater, but then at the same time may not see themselves as actors but still want to find a way to be involved and connected to the theater. Like I said, there's so many different careers. And one of them is the Broadway general manager, which is basically the – you're like the the person between the big-time producers and the rest of the show. Am I right? Is that like a yeah, – like yeah. you're like that filter prism guy. Because I – wait, I have to make sure to tell everyone about Peter Baggio. Make sure I got the correct last name in Peter Baggio, who is here with me, who has got a history of working in the biz for quite a while, has written this fantastic book, Broadway General Manager, demystifying the most important and least understood role in show business. Someone had to say it. <laughs> How you doing? Great, Keith. Welcome, Glad welcome, welcome. Here. So this book is one of those that I like to I like to kind of d- to dig into this because I do enjoy the other aspects of the world of show business because like I said sometimes people don't realize that even though there is a song in your heart <laughs> there may not be a stage out there for you to sing it on <laughs> and yet you still want to be a part of the milieu if you will and when you do that you know there are places for you you there's acumens that that people don't realize that they have other skills that they can bring into this and and create their own career and find a life in the theater like you have done and absolutely 
So this, tell me about the the journey becoming a general manager because people don't seem to understand. There's the general manager, and then there's the company manager, and the company manager is the person that's pretty much on site all the time, and you're on site as well, but certainly. You're not there for the the day to days of the running show, but you are the guy that helps make sure that that show even becomes. Well, I, I'm more like it is. I'm more like the Wizard of Oz. I'm <laughs> I'm the man behind the curtain that right. uh, is a bit mysterious, which is partially why I wrote the book. I, I felt that the job position needed to be demystified a little. I'm really the producer's right hand in all matters related to business and finance. Sometimes I joke that in show business, I'm the business half. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm not creative, but uh, I budget the show initially for the producer so that he or she will know how much money they have to raise. I negotiate almost all the contracts on the producer's behalf. Um, the one main exception to that is usually the initial author's agreement, which the production attorney traditionally uh, negotiates. But the contracts for the actors, the director, the designers, the theater, almost any position you can think of, uh, I would negotiate. Uh, I have total financial overview of the whole production. I'm keeping track of the money as it comes in, as it goes out, what are advances on a week-by-week basis, analyzing that. Uh, do I think that we all make break-even? Which performances look soft? Maybe we need a special promotion. I oversee advertising and marketing. How efficient is it? What's the return on investment? What we've spent? How we do? Did that direct mailing really pay off? Um, I make sure insurance is bound. My office is the official business center for the show, the entity that is the show. So my office runs payroll, pays bills, calculates union benefits, royalties, does profit distributions, uh, all the business part of commercial theater. Wow. So again, when I'm sitting here looking at you and I'm thinking to myself, okay, you know, I've I've you know, did a little of the research in your background, just a little bit. But you, you were, you went to th- to school for to study theater. You were went to Yale. Well, I Wait. went to Yale. Right. I I was a theater studies major in a liberal arts school. So that's not a that's not professional. No, because in a liberal arts school, they're not trying to give you a professional background. So it it was sort of a taste of theater but there was a lot of history and literature and uh, there might have been an acting class or two but it it certainly could never be confused with the conservatory or a real professional training i i actually thought that i wanted to be an actor because as you said earlier that's really what people see first when they first encounter theater they see those people up on the stage in the lights and in the beginning if you're young or naive it may not even occur to you that someone has written the words they're saying, that someone has designed the costumes. You just see these people and they're funny or they move you and the audience laughs and they get applause. So I think that's the easiest and the most obvious way to get hooked initially. So Mm -hmm. I, I came to New York after college thinking I wanted to be an actor and I pursued that for seven years, which biblically would be the seven lean years. Uh, And then a very 
unexpected thing happened. Uh, I found an original script that had a role in it that I desperately wanted to play. And I talked to people and did a lot of research and realized that in the end, the best way for me to make sure that that show got on Mm -hmm. and that I got to play the role was to produce it myself. So I wanted to act in it. I, I got the rights. I hired a general manager. I hired an attorney. I got the rights. And I produced it as, as a small actor's equity showcase. Uh, and I think it was quite successful. But to my total surprise, at the end of the process, when the dust settled, I had to admit that I was better suited for that other side, not the performing side, which is what I loved and, and thought I wanted, but really that producing business administrative side um, was a better fit. Hmm. And so I made the switch. So two things come to my mind, though, Peter. It's like when you say that you found the, the property for yourself that you wanted to do, then you decided to get out and get it done and make it yourself and do it and have it and go through that whole process. I'm trying to think it's like that is that is like the the standard definition for every person like a Cal Burnett or um oh gosh, the people that like literally like they said that they had to go out and find their own in order to make it to, to go that. So like you like a Cal Burnett, shall I say, found your once upon a mattress moment for yourself. Right. And you decide now after that whole experience that you don't want to you don't want to basically do like what Cal Burnett did and go on and become the Cal Burnett that we know. That moment is that's kind of like um, uh, I want to say it's like that that place when you have to like let your ego you and your ego have to have a really big conversation before you make that decision. Because, I mean, being in front of people and being on a stage, there's a certain kind of rush and a certain kind of energy that comes to that for people. But to decide that after doing that, and in in addition to doing all of the work to get to that moment to have it for yourself, you realize that you like to do the work getting there more than the actual performance. It was a surprise. I mean, that wasn't the the result that I was planning for or prepared for. But I I say sometimes that it was as if I had always been a fish and nobody had placed me in water until that moment. Uh And I suddenly went, I'm a fish. (laughs) I'm a fish. Um, I think also, uh, obviously anything in the theater is hard, but certainly the life of a a performer in the beginning is, is very difficult. And sometimes if if that's how you've defined yourself for years by going to classes and auditions and your whole identity has been as a performer, sometimes it's hard to let go of that if you don't know what you are if you're not a performer. So it was a big help to me to simultaneously say, oh, you know, I don't have to be an actor to stay in the theater and... and find a niche in something I love. This is something that I think I'm actually better suited for. And why not see if I can make a life in the theater that way? Wow. I mean, that's that's huge, though. I mean, when you think about the, the work and energy that most people as actors put into, uh, of course, today, creating their brand. <laughs> I mean, we, you weren't doing that back then, but that's exactly what you were doing, creating a brand. 
Little did you know that the brand you were going to be creating was going to be as this producing general manager energy. Like, who would have thought? Yeah. I, I mean, I think it's great to have goals and be directed in life. I think that's important. But I think you also have to be open to surprises that come up along the way and opportunities. And, oh, I I'd never thought about that. I hadn't planned for that. I wasn't working towards that. But um, it just seemed right. It just seemed right. That's the best. Gosh. Well, we have to talk about this book, Broadway General Manager. Absolutely. Understanding the most important and least understood role in show business. You you always have to give that a denim to the show business. So getting started then, like, let's, let's, let's talk about it. It's like, so your role is a producer comes to you and says, you know, I've decided that I want this particular property to do this. I want to make a musical of whatever. And so they come to you with this property first and say, I need help raising money or tell me how much money I need to to put something like this on. So they just come to you and say, boom. I'm usually the second person they hire. They usually hire the production attorney first because they have to acquire the rights. (laughs) They can't do anything unless they legally have the rights to the property. But as soon as they have the rights, the very next question, seconds after their pen has signed that option agreement is, Mm -hmm. What's it going to cost? <laughs> so they need a general manager to do a very detailed – two sets of budgets actually. Right. A, a production budget which tells you how much money you're going to need to raise to produce the show and get it to the first paid public performance. And then an operating budget which tells them how much money it's going to cost to run the show on a weekly basis. Right. And then at the end of that, there are always a variety of recoupment scenarios worked out so that once you have a handle on the expenses and this is a living breathing document so it evolves over time um but at the end of the operating budget then i give i mean everyone does it's it's the standard uh various recoupment scenarios that says basically okay so if we're in a theater of these many seats and this is our average ticket price a hundred percent of capacity is this gross figure, but at seventy percent of that figure, we could recoup the expenses in X number of weeks. And the higher your percentage of capacity, the faster you'll recoup. The fewer number of weeks. So that's very important for a producer to show investors. Look, we could get our money back in sixteen weeks, or twenty weeks, or six months, or whatever. So, okay, so now as you're telling me this now and I'm I'm having a moment I'm flickering back to your 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 training, your your training when you were at Yale and things like that. As you were preparing yourself, I don't remember you saying one accounting class and <laughs> that list of classes that you you were talking about. I didn't hear any actuarial sciences. I didn't hear any like uh probability and statistics. So, how do you go from that moment after you do that play and you decide that I'm going to become a general manager like I am today. Like that moment when you make that decision, where do you learn all of those other pieces that you need to do that? Because sure. that's the science almost. Well, I mean, in my personal path, which is fairly standard, when I made this decision to leave performing and sort of commit to the business side of theater, originally I thought I wanted to be a producer. Uh, and then as I looked into that, I felt that the two things I knew a producer had to do, namely choose the piece and raise the money, weren't things that anyone could teach me. 
the choosing was taste and the raising of funds was salesmanship. But everything else that a producer did, it appeared, was very often done in close collaboration with this mysterious, mystifying position called a general manager. So I resolved to go to work for a general manager to understand better all those aspects because I knew if I were going to be a producer one day, I wanted to be a hands-on, in-the-trenches producer who understood every aspect of the theater. I didn't want to be a dilettante with a checkbook who just hired people. So I went to work for a general manager, and that's really where I got my my practical training. In a general manager's office, um, trailing and being mentored by company managers. And then I became a company manager, and I did that for many years. And that's a great skill set. A company manager works for the general manager and executes all the things that the general manager has sort of devised in broad strokes. But then after a number of years of that, I I wanted more. I First of all, I got married. Uh, a company manager is tied to a show schedule, so you have to be at the theater eight, eight times, week, eight yeah. shows a week, twice on a Saturday, twice on a Wednesday, on Friday night. Um, and so I wanted I wanted more responsibility. I wanted more say in the process, and I wanted slightly more conventional hours. Yeah. Uh, and I was very fortunate that that a producer I knew and who thought well of me kind of offered me the opportunity to make the jump from company manager to general manager. Wow. But you're right. Nothing nothing in college was useful for this career specifically <laughs> which is what every parent wants to hear especially ones that send their kids to Yale thank you very much <laughs> it's like my friend said it's like going sending your kids to places like Yale and 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 Columbia or like buying a Mercedes every semester and then just throwing it off a cliff <laughs> well you know yes and no it's, it's... well I mean back in the day when you and I were probably going to school it wasn't as expensive but now I mean, that's amazing, though. So you parlayed practical work experience into this career, which is something that people don't necessarily get the opportunities to do anymore because, you know, everybody's supposed to come off of whatever the college treadmill is into that, you know, like there's a, probably a, a company manager, general manager type curricula somewhere that people can now kind of stick into. So... For someone who then had to learn everything that you've learned, do you think that's even possible after this wonderful book that you have called Broadway General Manager, which you, is now available everywhere you can get your books? Uh, go to www.broadwaygeneralmanager.com to find out more information. Um, but and and Amazon and Barnes and, and Noble, Amazon course. and Barnes and Noble. But you know, when they go to your site, it looks makes you look more fabulous when when they do the stats later. <laughs> <laughs> These are those little things you learn when you have to like do all this shit on your own. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like they want the stats. So uh, you know, you jump into this career. This is like, but this, is this something that you think can be taught to people? I mean, being able to contextualize it and go through the experience in a book is through your life. But do you think that people can glean enough information of what they'll be walking into from this book? I hope so. What I try to emphasize both at the beginning and at the end is that the purpose of the book is to give people a greater understanding and appreciation for what a general manager can do 
in no uncertain terms do I state that please don't think you can buy this book, <laughs> hang up a shingle, and be a general manager. Because I was actually planning on doing that after. I'm glad you said that. I'm sorry. <laughs> I think stand-up comedy would suffer. Um, they need you. No. So it's it's not – it's to give people an understanding and an appreciation and an overview. But in no way can you buy a book and, you know, do the job. Of course. There's, this is not Broadway General Manager for Dummies. But what? it's it would be like the Sorcerer's Apprentice times 100. <laughs> so it's great, though. So for you, I mean, you have a pretty fabulous history of working on the Broadway as well as, as, as building the career for yourself through the different channels that you managed to, to make this. What did you find for yourself to be the most challenging thing the minute you decided that you you said i'm going to be i'm going to be a general manager i want to be a general manager what was the most um the challenge that you had to make like cuz you're stepping out of from the company manager into now becoming a general manager what was that that leap like it was exciting and and i was ready um and i'd worked with some wonderful general managers whom i acknowledge in my book all of whom had all of whom I'd learned a lot from and, and most of whom had really mentored me as well. Uh, just to explain for the listeners, if it's not clear, the path I chose was to go work in a general manager's office. Then I realized the importance of the company manager, which is a huge and very responsible position. And uh, I resolved that that would be the next step for me. But that is a union position like everything in the theater is. Company managers are a part of a union called ATPAM, mm -hmm. the Association of Theatrical Press Agents and Managers, kind of strange bedfellows, but historically they <laughs> teamed up to form a union. I think they were the only ones that didn't have a union. They, it's like, yes, it's they, like when you're in that class and they make everyone pair off and then you're at the end and it's just like you and then that other person that nobody really wanted to pair off with and you're like... All right, let's just make it work. And then it winds up working. The, the last chosen for dodgeball. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, Stop bringing up my pain. But yes. <laughs> and, and, um, and because it's a union position, first you have to be um, nominated to be an apprentice. Then you have to be accepted. Then it's basically a two-year apprentice program where you have to accumulate a certain number of work weeks. And at the end of that process, you have to take a very – comprehensive um, oral and written exam to wow. really make sure that you are qualified to handle those responsibilities. And the pressure, I'm sure. It's a lot of pressure. Um, kind of like law school, at least in my day, people commonly formed groups, people who had all been apprentices at the same time and were going to face the exam. They formed a study group. They met regularly. They assigned each other different topics to speak to the whole group about the following week. And so um, that was a really tight-knit group. In fact, one of my colleagues from that group is Tom Santopietro, who recently interviewed me at Barnes & Noble. Uh, so it's kind of wonderful that after 30 years of friendship, he's now and, – and he's a best-selling author of mm -hmm. many – wonderful books about Doris Day, Frank Sinatra, Barbara Streisand, The Divas, the, the Sound of Music, the history of The Sound of Music. So it's kind of thrilling that with all that shared history, uh, 
he agreed to interview me at Barnes & Noble on my book. <laughs> You've just been added to the list of divas. <laughs> Theatrical divas. You're the diva of the Broadway general manager. Well, a Devo for a devo. little variety. That's right, Devo, yes, yes. So, you know, here you are, though. You, you're working in this field. What's it like, though, when you have, as the general manager of a show, where does it your responsibility lie when something controversial happens to a show? Like we we were ch- chatting earlier, and I tried not to get you to talk because I wanted you to to give me a good answer on the mic. But when you're faced with something like uh, the scenario with the Great Comet and how the conversation about Mandy Patinkin and Oak became something more than just a star replacing someone who's also a star, and you know. Just you know, star replacing stars, um, but it it gets it gets labeled to it gets it gets bigger than just a star replacing a star, and it becomes something like an issue of race and the, the whole thing. How does the general manager fall into the discussion on either a how to handle that situation, or b be a part of the the process before that situation becomes the situation. Right. It's, it's a wonderful question. Um, the truth is that the handling of a situation like that would primarily be the responsible of the press agent. What, Which is great. Well, you two are all in the same union. Exactly. And, you know, my bedfellow, as we just discussed, the press agent. Um <laughs> But really how that is presented to the public and how it's responded to, one would rely very heavily on, on the recommendations of the press agent talking to the producers. And I, the general manager would probably be involved but would not have a lead role in that area because that's really public perception. Mm-hmm. And there's a there's a commonly accepted rule that – might have been originally formulated by a legendary general manager, Robert Camelot, uh, who many of my peers, you know, worked with and revered. And I think he had a list of ten commandments um, for a manager, and one of them was never speak to the press. That's not your job. <laughs> you, truly, it should be never speak to the press because. You got a whole lot of other shit to be doing. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. Because I see the list. You have to deal with contract negotiations. You have to deal with the establishment of a budget. You have to deal with all of these things. You know, once the budget that it, it's actually done, you still have to deal with the operating budget of making sure that those numbers are met. And those, you don't have time to be talking to the press. Well, and it's <laughs> it's not appropriate. That's yeah. not. I mean, my area of expertise is to quantify how much it's going to cost you to fire someone from their contract, which has already been signed, and you know, to calculate what the buyout's going to be. Um, the, the press agent can formulate uh, someone's back went out or there were artistic differences. or They found the creative way exactly. of fixing the, the hard job that you have to do, I, which is get your stuff and get out. And then they turn to me and say, how much is this going to cost us? I want them out. Wow. I mean, because that's a hard thing because, you know, I I guess 
you are either one of the most favorite people that walk backstage or you're one of the most hated people that walk backstage. Is that like a fair estimation? Uh, well. I mean, next to the producers, of next course. Next to the producer. One of the things I learned early on that if, if you're a manager at any level, a, a stage manager, a company manager, a general manager, a house manager, you have to let go of the fantasy of wouldn't it be nice if everybody liked me? You know, your job isn't to be liked. Hopefully, you're respected. Hopefully, people think you're fair and they can come to you. And they might even like you. But your job isn't to win a popularity contest. As management, sooner or later, you're going to have to uh, give a decision that's going to piss someone off. Like, no, I'm sorry, you can't go on vacation when you would love to because someone else has already put in a request and Oh wait. So are you the person that they have to go to first, let's say when um the Oscar nominations come out and the night that you would like to be off to go do something that's Oscar related happens to not fall into the parameters of your being able to take time off. It's not a Monday night. Ooh. But it's the Oscars. It's not a Monday night. Is that, I mean, that must be a real hard conversation to have sometimes. It is hard. But then, uh, you know, I don't do anything unilaterally. I act on the producer's behalf. But I collaborate very closely with with my lead producer or producer. So we would talk on the phone or, or email uh, 30 times a day easily on the average. So that's something we would all discuss. How much value to the show would it be to have our star appear on national television doing promotion for their, their film, but if they win an Academy Award... So, you know, you weigh things carefully. There are no automatics. You can't do that or you can do that. You you know, what's the night of the week? Is it a Saturday night? Oh, that's the yeah. That's the best night of the week, so the hardest one to take a hit. Is it a Tuesday night? Well, you know, that's our weakest night of the week, so maybe it wouldn't matter so much. You have to really think through and weigh all the all the variables. And ultimately, it's the producer's choice. But you're you're the first line of I'm the first, contact or conversation. I'm the first one the producer wants to consult with. Um, part of what can be frustrating about my job is that the producer can ask for all my advice but doesn't have to take any of it. That must be frustrating sometimes. So, yeah, that can be challenging if you really... Most people I've found who work in the theater are passionate about the theater and therefore are passionate about what they do. So everyone everyone really is is recommending what they think is best for the show. But ultimately, it's the producer's call. So um, even though they're paying me for my advice, they don't have to take it. <laughs> Which is why you don't let yourself get mad when they don't. And you're just like, I got paid for it anyway, so you can do what you want to do with it. Now, do you find, though, that, that that kind of stuff happens when you're working with producers that have a lot more time and experience in the, the role versus... Because uh, I remember there's a thing that you say in the book, Broadway General Manager, available everywhere you can get books, Broadway Manager, or general BroadwayGeneralManager.com, excuse me, um, as well as Amazon and Barnes & Nobles. But, like, 
you um I lost my train of thought trying to make sure to promote. Um you were you're the the, the 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 relationship between you and the producer are very, very it's a very special relationship in general, just like most relationships in the world of show business. But like um if you find yourself like do you I don't want to say do you want it marketing yourself out to other producers as a general manager like do they come to you are you the person of recommendations if someone or like do you have time when there's a show happening that you're on this do you can you do a second show it seems to me like you couldn't possibly do a second show with all the responsibilities that you have you know, it, for it, one it it depends how much you're willing to expand your office there are many offices that have a lot of associate general managers okay. and, and and particularly a show that deals with a big musical that's successful and then while it's on Broadway, it, it spins off a national tour and maybe there's a bus and truck tour. So there are a lot of offices that can handle that. Personally, I've always preferred being a very small boutique operation really having hands-on, being deeply involved in a production. Um, I do tell a funny story in my book that I once did have two shows that happened almost simultaneously. Uh, one was a Broadway show called Fortune's Fool. The other was an off-Broadway show called Mr. Goldwyn. And they had the same producers and the the same support team, the same advertising agency, the same press agent, uh, and they each starred someone named Alan. Oh, Alan Bates was in Fortune's Fool, mm -hmm. and Alan King was in Mr. Goldwyn. And they were just like two weeks separated in terms of first rehearsals, first previews, opening night. So I found that to keep my sanity, I really had to start every conversation by saying, Please specify the show we are talking about. <laughs> Just so I wouldn't go all off on one show when they were really talking about the other. So, so I mean, because that's because under normal circumstances, that's a lot of information to be responsible for in terms of just one show. I yes. mean, you know, all of the things that you have to do before, during, and, and of course, the production period, mounting the show, getting it to opening night, is by far the most intense. There's a lot of work involved in maintaining a show, but it's to a different degree. So once a show is up and let's say it looks like it's a hit and it's going to be there a while and it's being maintained, it certainly would be easier somewhere along that maintenance line to take on a new show and mount it. Uh, and there, but there are offices who mount two, three, four shows in the same season. They just have very large staffs. Okay. And um, I just prefer to be more exclusive and... and uh, you don't want to spread yourself around <laughs> like some Broadway general manager hoe just <laughs> working all the streets and the angles. Come on now. <laughs> Oh, see, this is the thing about this interview. Only I will make the, those kinds of comparisons. Everyone else will be more dignified than me. I, I can't say those things, Keith, but you can. Walking up and down Times Square in his loose side heels, working it. You know what I mean? You gotta... That big A-frame, you know, available. 
You got a show. You got a show looking for a show. See, I, I go to lots of places that people shouldn't go. But the thing is, though, at Broadway General Manager, um, you do give a wonderful overview and a wonderful insight into the world that most people don't even know exists, as you say, because... Again, no one thinks about any of that stuff. I mean, especially when you talk about professional theater in New York City where you have to deal with about seven different unions in order to put on one production. <laughs> I think it's 16 unions. See? I, I mean, and that's, Everything is unionized. Everything is unionized. So, like, all the way through the course of that, you have so much to think about that when I talk to actors, I always sometimes look at them and I just realize, you know, your job is real easy. <laughs> like, you just got to show up and sing or show up and say the line, stand where you're supposed to stand, make sure the light gets you where you need to be gotten. And that's really, you know, and help, of course, facilitate telling the story. That's the most important thing. Of but, but in terms of where you fit into the whole pattern of the moment when you're standing there uttering those words, there is an entire industry of people working behind you, which is something that people don't remember. Well, and they don't see it. It's sort of invisible, but there is a huge a huge support system. And, uh, you know, that can be gratifying. If you love theater and you know that you're playing a role that is essential for making it happen, that can be very gratifying. That's fantastic. Well, Peter, you know, you and I can sit here and talk forever, and I'm sure that as time goes on, your, manager, your uh, publicist will probably have you back again because this is going to go from... Probably hardback to um, paperback, so I want to have you come back again. So we can Not too quickly. It. My yes. royalty's higher on hard hardcover. Oh, oh, well, make sure then that you guys go to the broadwaygeneralmanager.com and pick up your copy. Hardcover. <laughs> hardcover. Preferably. Get it at hardcover. Amazon, Barnes & Nobles, wherever you can get books, this is the, the time. And if you are, like I said, if you are a true lover of the theater, this is one of those pieces that will give you another insight to another side of the theater so that... When you go see shows, and I say this because there's something that we were talking about before we came on the mic earlier, about how, you know, as folks do these things, it's like the 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 opportunity to to see shows that are being mounted. You don't realize what goes into them, and so when I see reviews and things from other critics, like literally just basically, you know, lacerating a show for whatever reasons they're choosing to lacerate it, not because they particularly like or dislike something. It's just this need to be nasty. It's like I want to remind them, it's like the more that you continue to do things like that, you are going to destroy people wanting to do the art, and then, then we won't have the art for you to constantly sit and criticize, most of which y'all are not even contributing to. I'm just saying, just saying. So you will understand that there's a whole machine of people behind these productions that you get to see. And that's, you know, and I, and I say this too because we talk about New York and, you know, New York is New York. But there is a, a, a company manager or a general manager at a wonderful theater someplace near anyone who's listening who, even though they may not have to deal with the unions or may not have to deal with all of these other aspects of the job that you do here in New York, there are certain aspects of the job that are still very similar. Oh, absolutely. I, I have chapters on negotiating. I have chapters on financial overview, which could be applied to any production. Um, I have a chapter on insurance. Uh, the The book is really substantive. I wanted it to be 
very substantial, so people would understand the role. But it's also interspersed with personal anecdotes and bits of theatrical lore. Yeah. So uh, I, I tell some of my friends that if a certain chapter, let's say on insurance, is is more detailed than they care for, just look for those little boxes. Those little boxes. I liken them to just the dirty parts in Lady Chatterley's Lover. <laughs> I just, again, sometimes for f- folks like me, I love those references because I totally get it. But I mean, I have to, we'll have to explain who D.H. Lawrence is to a lot of people. Ask Mr. Google. Ask Mr. Google because that joke was funny. <laughs> I love it. So, again, you know, so before the critics, you know, literally annihilate what's happening on theater because of whatever needs they do and they wind up destroying the art form and taking away the love and joy that people have to be a part of it. You know, I think that you also need to remember that there are a whole series of other people that are involved in this process. And so as a Broadway general manager, Peter Boggio has kind of outlined a wonderful option of a career for people who are thinking about theater and realizing that if you decide to go this route, get your accountant skills on. (laughs) Like, know how to work a uh, calculator, cause child. You have to have you have to have a certain level of math skills. You need yes. you need organizational skills, math skills, and communication skills. Those wow. are, I think, three of the main areas. Oh, and I was asked Keith to also mention yes. that the book is available in Kindle format. Ah. Although, of course, I can't sign it for anyone if they download <laughs> it on their Kindle. Sure, you can just bring a sharpie and write on their screen <laughs> in lipstick. <laughs> Because I'm that kind of queen. I'll do that. I don't care. Write it down. Ah! Anyway, so yes. So thank you, Peter. Thank you. Groovy, groovy, groovy. And again, the book is entitled Broadway General Manager, available everywhere that you can get books, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and also go to broadwaygeneralmanager.com to get more information about the book as well and about the author. And again, remember that there are more careers out there in the world of theater. So don't let yourself feel scared and limited if you don't think that you're an actor because you can be involved in all kinds of levels, honey. Trust me. That's what I'm learning, at least doing this at the end. So we'll be back. Thank you. Thank you.